The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. Most relationships have their ups and downs, whether they're between family members, friends, or coworkers. Most of us don't like the downtimes because it's uncomfortable to be feeling angry or disconnected from those we care about. However, our guests today, clinical psychologist Dr. Ed Tronic and pediatrician Dr. Claudia Gold, say the conflicts in relationships are the keys to better relationships. And Dr. Stronic and Gold are the authors of the new book, The Power of Discord, Why the Ups and Downs of Relationships Are the Secret to Building Intimacy, Resilience, and Trust. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Talk about a topic that we really need to be discussing right now. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. There's so much discord. (laughs) Yeah. Well, talk to us about your own backgrounds and how you guys connected and ended up writing this great book together. Well, since... uh, Uh, My story is first in the book. (laughs) I'll start. Uh, So uh, I'm a pediatrician um, and uh, practiced general and behavioral pediatrics for many years. And um, I came to realize that even though I was in the right place at the right time uh, with children and families, often even from before birth, I didn't really have the tools that would help me to support families. uh, And there was a lot of experience of frustration and failure. And then in a series of very fortuitous events, um, I discovered the field of infant mental health. And I began to apply some of the ideas that I had learned and had really dramatic changes in my practice. uh, And had the good fortune then to learn about the fellowship that that Ed uh, is the chief faculty of. And I went and did the fellowship and then joined the faculty of the program. and continued to incorporate all the ideas into my work. And then Ed approached me about writing a book together. And that's how we got here. And what was your goal with the book? I think the, the goal with the book was to uh, bring to people's attention uh, the idea that relationships are, are never perfect. They're never perfectly smooth. They're not like a fabulous, wonderful dance that, um, that we see but that they have a lot of what we call messiness or mismatches in them. And when, it, when I first saw the proportion of the, the amount of time that people spent in mismatched states, I couldn't help but wonder what, what it was really doing and why, why there was so, so much of this mismatching. And then we came to the realization, um, particularly as we were writing the book about how powerful the effects are of repairing the mismatches and repairing the discords that we see in the relationships. And Dr. Tronick, you were 
one of the first researchers behind an absolutely revolutionary study that showed that babies are affected by their parents' emotions with the still face experiment. And studies of a mother and child showed that two people are out of sync much more than they are in sync. And it was 70% mismatched to 30% in sync. I thought that was so crazy. And I ended up watching all these YouTube videos about it. Um, <laughs> talk to us a little bit about that because I know that was a lot of the reason you guys wrote the book. The, the still face experiment was one that I, that I actually designed as a small little study to test the hypothesis that, we, that everyone now accepts, um, that infants are reactive to emotions, that they read emotions, that they have uh, their own emotions, and that there's an interplay between um, the parent and the child that really is an emotional communication. But when I was first looking at the kinds of interactions that take place between parents and their children, no one really believed it. Everyone believed that infants were a sort of blob, that if uh, if it looked like they were reacting to the mother or to the father, it was really that the mother or father were structuring the interaction. And so I came to the idea of trying to test the idea experimentally and what seemed like a really straightforward experiment was to ask the mother not to react to the infant, for her to be neutral in terms of her affect, to be still-faced or frozen, and see what the infant, what, what infants would do with that. And from the very first infant that I looked at, we saw the infant almost immediately pick up on the fact that the mother was not responding to her um, she sort of smiled at the mother. She reached out to the mother. She tried to get the mother to react to her. And when the mother didn't react, the baby looked stressed, um, looked sad or even distressed, would turn away from her. And then she would come back and look again at the mother and try again to get her resp to respond. And babies would do that multiple times. Um, and it really highlighted not only how they were reacting to what the mother was doing, but how critical the connection to the mother was or the connection to the parent was um, between them. And that when you broke that connection, you had a really powerful and stressful effect on, on the infant. Um, and then that little experiment um, had had these ripple effects throughout throughout the field. People use it, in fact, um, given our current circumstances, there are even police departments that show the video of a baby reacting to the mother in the still face experiment to give a sense to the police and to other people in the trainings how sensitive we are to the emotions of other people and how critical they are to how we feel about ourselves. And so that's one of the things that leads you to say that we are in this state of, of mismatch so very often with the others in our relationships. And Dr. Gold, I'm wondering as a pediatrician, what implications does this knowledge have in terms of relationships between parents and their children and their teenagers? Um, well, what I always or often see in my practice, and parents have a lot of pressure on them, 
and they feel this kind of urgency when their child is struggling to fix the problem. So they come to me and say, tell me what to do about X. So when I, after I had kind of learned a different way of thinking, I would in, instead protect time for them to listen and be curious about uh, what was the meaning of their child's behavior. So w- what is your child communicating rather than what is it and what do we do to fix it? And once we had an understanding of what was the meaning of the behavior, uh, then the behavior problem often would evaporate. Um, so I think that, that uh, it kind of frees us from the need to name with certainty and fix a problem, but rather open up a space for curiosity. And then there's, the, then there's that opportunity for a child to feel understood. And then that moment is so glorious when, when they kind of reconnect and, and you can feel it being in the room that there's this opportunity for growth in the parent, in the child, and in the relationship as a whole. So bad behavior is sometimes a form of communication. Yeah, I would say it's always a form of communication. All behavior is a form of communication. But of course, some behavior, the bad behavior is aimed at being negative and being angry and being frustrated. But the communication that the recipient has to think about, certainly the parent has to think about with their child, is what is leading this this absolutely wonderful child to be so angry at me? What is so frustrating about about them? And I think one of the messages, one of the things we see in the still face is when you don't feel listened to, when you don't feel heard by the other person, it generates uh, sadness, but it also generates anger and frustration. This book was obviously written before the pandemic, but I would imagine that all of those emotions would just be amplified now with everybody spending so much time together at home and parents really having to also play the role as teacher right now. Yeah, I think that uh, certainly when we chose the book's title, we never could have imagined just how relevant it was. Right. But, uh, and it's, the situations are just incredibly difficult that people are facing and I think one way that the still face can help us to think about it is that the baby is so hopeful. The baby has clearly gone through moment after moment of difficulty in that relationship preceding the experiment so that they sense that they can get better. So here we have all this disruption and so many moments of discord in our relationships. And if rather than feeling kind of terrified and overwhelmed, which are understanding feelings to have, if we can kind of focus on in the moment relationships and what's going on right now and how can we find our way in this instant where like a mom is tearing her hair out because she can't get on her meeting or a child is is having a meltdown at an inopportune time, um, how can we get to the other side? And every little moment, micro moment of healing, of repair that we go through is really an opportunity to build our our resilience because as a whole, the pandemic is just testing our resilience like it's never been tested before. This episode is sponsored by Ritual, and we want to tell you more about why we're big believers in all of Ritual's products. Let's focus on Ritual's essential protein products for a moment. You know, we all need protein. Protein helps support bone health and so much more. It's not just about muscles. But protein powders can be intimidating, to say the least. Plus, as we go through life... 
Our protein needs change, so it's important to choose a mix for different life stages. Ritual's Essential Protein is a delicious plant-based protein powder with three distinct formulas designed to meet your body's changing protein needs during different life stages. There's Daily Shake 18+, Daily Shake 50+, and Daily Shake Pregnancy and Postpartum. And each of these three thoughtful formulas contains 20 grams of pea protein per serving. Ritual's Essential Protein Powder powder is a good foundation for your health and it's easy to incorporate into your daily rituals. It sure is. I just add water, shake and sip and I love the great taste. It's a delicious handcrafted vanilla formula from sustainably harvested Madagascar vanilla bean extract. I love it too because there's no added sugar or sugar alcohols. It's soy free, gluten free and non-GMO. You may have heard us talk about Rituals products over the years and why we really appreciate that with Rituals one-of-a-kind visible supply chain, you know the what, how, and why of every labeled ingredient. You won't find fillers, colorants, or shady additives. Ritual offers a super flexible subscription service with free shipping for subscribers, free easy cancellation, and a money-back guarantee within the trial period. Are you ready to shake up your protein ritual? Our Nobody Told Me listeners get 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com slash NTM. And remember, Ritual even offers a money-back guarantee if you're not 100% in love. Visit ritual.com slash ntm today for 10% off your first three months. Again, that's ritual.com slash ntm for 10% off your first three months. Dr. Tronic, what are your thoughts along those lines in terms of people who are struggling with relationships even more now because of all that's going on in the world? How can they move to that other side? There are a couple of challenges that we're, we're all facing. Um, I, for one, for example, have, have been self-isolating with my wife. And we have, you know, an absolutely wonderful and spectacular relationship. But, of course, we're not necessarily used to being together um, 24 hours a day in, in a constant kind of way. And the connection that you make, the, the relationship that you have, we're all really sensitive to to sort of all the all the little nuances that go on between two people. And, and one of the things that's happening, I think, for all of us is that by being isolated from friends, facing the stress of working at home, all, all the other stresses that we're feeling, is that our moods shift and vary. And now we're with one person who's reading all those mood shifts all the time. Um, and so we face a challenge, um, you know, in our terms where the number, the frequency, the amount of mismatches that, that is going on is really challenges us. We, you know, if, if having a mismatch allows for a repair and you're used to having, let's say, 10 of them, um, you have 10 of them and you repair them and you feel connected again, and you feel like this person and I are really getting along with one another. What happens if when the person you're with is in, you know, a sort of cranky, irritable mood? Not that I'm ever in a cranky, irritable mood, but when I am, <laughs> you know, my wife, you were. To, my wife <laughs> has to deal with me in that cranky mood. And instead of getting 10 mismatches, um, 
which we repair, all of a sudden, you know, there's a long duration mismatch or there are, there are 20 or 30. So we're constantly being challenged by these small moments that are, that are taking, taking place between us. Um, and, it, and it puts an extra stress and strain on, on the relationship. It would also seem like with everything moving to Zoom, whether that's classrooms or workplaces, that there would be even more mismatches in terms of communication because we're not really able to read the person in the same way if we're not face-to-face. I mean, I think that's definitely true. Um, And Zoom is exhausting for the fact that you don't have the in-person cues uh, that uh, are so rich in, in human interaction. I would say that I have been surprised when I, I do a lot of work by Zoom and I see families with, with young infants uh, that we can have these very profound and, and meaningful uh, communications. Um, and, and in this sort of uh, when life hands you lemons kind of way, sometimes when I go into a person's home rather than having them in my office, it, it also makes people feel safe uh, in a way that's different, uh, which seems to allow some of the work to be richer. Um, so I think it's difficult, but it's not necessarily all terrible. And that's really interesting, too, that you mentioned safety because this is a time when we're all feeling a little bit unsafe. So that's interesting that Zoom, as a newer technology, is actually having a different impact than you would think it would. Yes. And I also think it's important to think about that as we wrestle with this very complex issue of schools. Because when you're in an environment where, you know, we have obviously social interaction is hugely important for kids. But if things are very constrained and, and there's this atmosphere of fear underlying everything, we have to take that into consideration when we're sort of weighing the pluses and minuses of, of doing uh, school remotely where it has a lot of drawbacks, but you can interact without a face covering and you don't have to deal with that pervasive uh, underlying sense of fear. One, one of the experiences that... that um, my wife and I had recently was we did go to visit friends. For the most part, we've been self-isolating, but we went to visit friends who were in a rural setting in the western part of Massachusetts. Um, and all of a sudden, we were with people um, who have been very careful, and these are really good friends of ours, um, who were in 3D instead of in 2D. And one of the experiences of that was that you'd sort of move toward, I would move towards them and then I would have to stop mm-hmm. and then we'd have to readjust. And mm-hmm. so in a sense, there was a, a kind of mismatch that was actually a mismatch, which had to do with the safety issue, but the mismatch was a relationship issue. The, the big mismatch was we couldn't get close to each other. We couldn't touch each other. And so we had to violate the way we normally and typically would interact with one another. And after we had been together for about two or three hours and we were, you know, thrilled to be together. And at the same time, um, we were going back and forth and uh, worried about what we were doing. All of us were so exhausted um, 
that we all took naps. Everyone took a nap. And what, <laughs> and what my, what my mo- wife realized was that when we talk about safety, and maybe the Zooms have more safety right now, is that when you are with people, they also carry this background meaning of being possibly threatening to you. Hmm. And there's no escaping. If, no. if you're with another person, um, then perhaps they're carrying the virus. You shouldn't get too close to them. You shouldn't touch them. So here's someone you really want to be, you know, holding, hugging, talking to. And at the same time, you have to control yourself in a very conscious way that restricts restricts how connected you can feel. You know, I, I know you both feel that uncertainty plays a big role in promoting growth and change. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because there is so much uncertainty right now in the world. Yes. <laughs> I think uh, it's perhaps a little bit more than I would have hoped for um, because <laughs> nothing, the fact that we can't rely on anything is very profoundly destabilizing. Um, so I do want to uh, highlight that the reality of that, but in a, you know, in a more smaller circumstance, like let's say this question about schools, uh, which is a big issue, um, when there's a kind of feeling like we have to have the answer, like you, we either do this or we do that. And that kind of cuts this pr- messy process short of where we might be able to come up with a better solution if we allowed ourselves to not exactly know what the answer was for a little while. Um, and then on a more micro level, I see this again all the time in my office where parents come in and they say, just tell me, is it or is it not X? Uh, and the, the anxiety about either there's something wrong with their child or they're a bad parent uh, makes them wish for this kind of certainty, which of course there isn't because any problem is a combination or occurs within the relationship. Um, so once parents feel more comfortable and safe to tolerate the uncertainty, then that kind of links back to what I started with, which is that once you're saying, okay, I don't need to have an answer. I'm just going to play around with this and see what emerges. And that allows parent and child to make sense of each other and to have these wonderful moments of connection and meeting. Since we all have more time right now and can connect with people that we haven't talked to in a while, is now a good time to try and repair relationships with maybe family members or friends that have been estranged from us for a while and maybe we can take the time to communicate with them when we're not in person and when there's not really pressure to get together? I, I, th- I think that's a... That's a really fascinating question, and I think many of us have have that kind of feeling. Um, I don't think there's a very simple one way or another answer to that. Um, on one side, I think when you feel like you want to um, have that kind of repair, you're going to have to most likely do it on Zoom, and there are limitations as to how, how that could occur. The other thing is that you have to ask yourself, why in this circumstance are you now feeling that you are in a position to, to repair an interaction, you know, an estrangement that, mm-hmm. that you've experienced? 
We're glad you're part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners, and we're excited to tell you about Lomi, the world's first smart waste appliance. If you've struggled with composting and feel it's too much work or feel bad that you're not doing your part to help the environment, you have to check out Lomi. Lomi is a countertop electric composter, and I love it because I don't have a traditional garbage disposal. With Lomi, I don't need to take a lot of trips to the garbage with food waste. I just turn food scraps into dirt with the push of a button. And in just a minute, we'll tell you about a special offer from Lomi for our Nobody Told Me listeners. I love my Lomi because just about anything I put in the kitchen disposer can be put into the Lomi on my countertop and turned into dirt in four hours. There's no smell when it runs and it's really quiet. Since I got my Lomi, I throw out way less garbage. Me too. And you know, I think it's cut down my kitchen garbage by at least a half. That means it's not going to landfills and producing methane. Instead, my Lomi turns my food waste into nutrient-rich dirt that I can feed to my plants. It is so cool to see. I feel great knowing that I'm composting and creating soil instead of garbage. I have a basically limitless supply of dirt now for my garden, and Lomi is so easy to use. While you may want to get a Lomi for yourself, you may also want to get one for someone on your holiday list. This is a great gift that will help someone year-round. If you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just make cleanup after dinner that much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash NTM and use the promo code NTM to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash NTM. And again, that's Lomi spelled L-O-M-I. Use promo code NTM at checkout. Food waste is gross. Lomi is your solution. With the holidays just around the corner, Lomi will make the perfect gift for someone on your shopping list. Just head to Lomi.com slash NTM and use the promo code NTM to get $50 off your Lomi. I think I'm almost thinking that some people are having a new feeling of an appreciation for life, given the fact that maybe they're healthy and think, man, you know what? I could lose this person and I'd like to repair that relationship if I have the opportunity to. I think that's a really well taken point that there's a feeling of, for many of us, the realization of how critical relationships are to us. Because after all, in, this, in the pre-COVID situation, you had relationships, they seemed to flow, they were just kind of like breathing air and water, and now you're deprived of them. And even the ones that were not problematic take on a new value for you. And then you could say, well, maybe I could recapture, maybe I could repair that relationship with uh, my friend who I haven't seen for a really long time and you know something went wrong in that relationship. And I'd really like to um, capture them again. But I think in the background, you have all the stress of the current situation. And you also have to be willing to kind of understand, um, reflect on the feelings that you have that led to the problem in in the relationship. You know, Claudia has written a book which really focuses on parents understanding the mind of the child. What is it that the child really wants? Um, And I think in that making up, which 
could really be a wonderful thing to do, you nonetheless have to fully understand um, or try to understand both their feelings and your feelings as well. Yeah, and I also think we need to be respectful of our own limitations. I mean, uh, I noticed that even though I have more time, sometimes I just don't make those calls because so much energy goes into kind of holding myself and my immediate family and my work together, mm -hmm. uh, that there's this kind of low level of challenge to just holding oneself together from moment to moment in this situation so that making that extra contact, even though in theory, it seems like that should be what we're doing all the time. Mm -hmm. We need to be gentle with ourselves and realize that that's sometimes just easier said than done right now. If you're trying to repair discord in a relationship, is it better to try and have that face-to-face -face meeting if you can, or is it better to reach out with an email or, or a, a phone call? What would you say? I would go back to my favorite word about uncertainty. I mean, I think that it depends on the situation. Um, and you may try one way and, and that is a disaster. And so you realize that, that maybe some more distance is called for. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's any one right answer and every situation is unique. Mm -hmm. but, but I think one thing that can help is to try and figure out, or maybe to recognize, to in some sense provide a, a warning or a frame when, when you are reaching out to that other person. I don't think it can be something that comes out of the blue because the other person has to be prepared for your reaching out. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think not only, you know, so an email might be helpful or it might not, or um, some contact which indicates, I would like to talk about this, but let's not think we can, depending on what the issue is, that it can be resolved right away, so that some preparation can really help in putting that, getting a process going that allows for the, uh, the repair to take place. Um, and, and just to add one point, the relationships you're talking about of recapturing the, the, the relationship that you had before is clearly a relationship where there's been a pretty intense problem that led to a break in the relationship. So that's not the same as the relationships that you have every day that are going well, where you have ups and downs and you have little breaks or whatever. And you, you know, you overcome them in a, uh -huh. in a pretty straightforward way. You know, reaching out to someone that you had some estrangement with is, is uh, trying to repair something that, that may take a, a, fair, amount of, uh, a fair amount of work to, to overcome. And at the end of each program, we ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So obviously we want to hear from both of you. What is your nobody told me lesson about relationships and social interactions, disagreements, or really anywhere you want to take it that you wish you had known before, let's say, the still face experiment or before you became interested in this topic? <laughs> huh. 
Well, I feel that I've been interested in this topic for a very long time. So I would say I wish I had known early on in my training just how much value there was to taking time to listen to another person, um, because I think I kind of plowed through in, in the kind of uh, medical training. I got what I needed to get, um, but I think I missed a lot along the way. Uh, so I wish that I had had uh, more of these insights uh, that I gained, you know, when I was in my 40s, well before earlier in my career. Ed, how about you? I think for me, the, for me, the, the discovery of the messiness of relationships, the, 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 the mismatches that we see, how, how common they are, rather than our ability to have relationships that are, sometimes people talk about dancing like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Um, they dance that way, but pretty much no one else dances that way. <laughs> um, and certainly that's not the way our relationships are. But I think all of us carry with us, um, if you will, the fantasy of the perfectly in sync, attuned relationship. And for me, not only out of the seeing the data that, um, that I had in the studies that I was doing, but seeing that having messiness in relationships, being able to repair them, being able to reconnect, actually build stronger and more intimate relationships was not only an insight, but it took off a lot of pressure of always trying to make things right. I have to do this right. I have to make this right. Um, it reduced the anxiety. Um, and now, um, you know, being with my wife 24 hours, 24 hours a day, you know, we can joke around and um, say, oh, we're really messing up here. Things are really messy. We're really in a mismatch. Isn't that great that we're doing that? Because we'll come out on the other side of this and we'll come out and we'll be better and stronger. Well, we thank you both so much for joining us. We really appreciate this. I think you, your, your wisdom and insight is much, much needed right now. And we thank you so much. Well, thank, thank you. Thanks for having us. Appreciate Again, it. we've been talking with Dr. Ed Tronic and Dr. Claudia Gold, whose book is called The Power of Discord, Why the Ups and Downs of Relationships are the Secret to Building Intimacy, Resilience, and Trust. The website for the book is thepowerofdiscord.com. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. 